What do a desert, a prison, a hospital, and a storm have in common? Some might say they all seem hopeless, but in reality, they all symbolize good news. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah looks to the Psalms to find hope in places that traditionally leave people feeling helpless. Listen as David introduces today's thought-provoking message when you are at your wit's end. And thank you for joining us today. Friends, we are studying the Psalms under the heading of When Your World Falls Apart, because um, these are the Psalms that God used in my life when I was going through cancer some years ago. And they were such a blessing to me and such an encouragement to my life. We put them in a book that was originally called A Bend in the Road, and that book was later changed to the title when your world falls apart and all the material is the same, these are the messages that God used in my life, and I'm hoping he's using them in yours as well. Today in Psalm 107. Before we open our Bibles to that psalm, let me tell you that during this month, our resource uh, for you is a beautiful book called Sleep on This, 100 Evening Reflections from God's Word, to help you sleep. And uh, these these are words to calm your nerves and bring comfort and rest through the night. Relaxing meditations reminding you of God's daily peace and protection and providing peaceful sleep. Yours for a gift of any amount to Turning Point this month. When you ask for this resource, we'll send it to you right away. Once again, a beautiful padded cover gift book. Sleep on this. Yours for the asking when you send your gift today. Here's part one of When You Are At Your Wit's End. It's May of 1995, and Randy Reed, a 34-year-old construction worker, was welding on top of a nearly completed water tower outside of Chicago. According to one writer, Randy had unhooked his safety gear to reach for some pipes A metal cage slipped and bumped the scaffolding on which Reed was standing. The scaffolding tipped, Reed slipped, and he fell 110 feet. He fell face down in a pile of dirt. He barely missed the rocks and the construction debris, and when the paramedics arrived, Reed was breathing. When they hoisted him onto the backboard and began carrying him to the ambulance, he actually spoke. And what did the man who had fallen 110 feet and lived with enough energy still to speak, what did he say? You're not going to believe what he said. He said, don't drop me. (laughs) The doctor said that Reed came away from the accident with only a bruised lung, and his three words were probably an attempt at humor for a miracle with a fall that left him only with just a bad backache. But what a picture of the human tendency. A man who lives through a 110-foot plummet is worried about a possible three-foot fall. And the reason we laugh at it is because we all identify and we understand. Today's psalm of encouragement is a hymn of thanksgiving to Almighty God for his deliverance from the falls of life. If we can see his hand in the preservation of our lives through the 110-foot falls mentioned in this passage, 
then we have every reason to have renewed confidence to face the routine challenges of our everyday lives. Now, Psalm 107 is a greatly loved portion of God's Word. Some historians believe that it should be called the Pilgrim's Psalm because there are many things in this psalm that parallel the kinds of problems that the pilgrims had when they came to this country. If you read the entire psalm at one sitting, you will discover that there is a mental picture here of moving from one kind of problem to another until finally you get where you're headed. The main body of the psalm is found in verses 4 to 32. And in this section of the psalm, there are four subsections, if I could call them that, that present four pictures of the kinds of things that happen to God's people on their way as pilgrims to the final destination. In each of these pictures, there is one common thread, and that is they're the kinds of things that happen to us that leave us feeling a sense of helplessness. Now, one way to get the meaning out of this psalm, if you'll indulge me for a moment, is to imagine that you are walking through an exclusive art gallery. And in this gallery, there are four very famous paintings. And these paintings have been created to portray the various challenges that one faces in life. In this particular gallery, I shall be your tour guide. And as I lead you through the gallery, I will pause briefly at the first three paintings for some important comments. But my purpose is wrapped up in the symbolism of the fourth painting, and that is where we will spend the majority of our time. So let's begin our tour. We have entered the gallery, and we stop now at painting number one, which is a picture of the desert. And the words which describe the wanderer in the desert are found for us in verses four through nine. This paragraph describes the experience of being lost in the desert and reminds us of the kinds of things that happen to us in life that are like that. It says in verses 4 and 5, They wandered in the wilderness in a desolate way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. The desert travelers represent many today who are lost in a wilderness of existence and cannot find their way out. Some are lost in a desert of loneliness. Others are lost in a circle of routine futility. Some are lost in a desert of affluence, which is yielding up far less than they had anticipated, wandering around without hope and without help. And there's no way to find their way home. As we move to the next portico, we visit painting number two. And this is the picture of a prison. It is found in Psalm 107, verses 10 through 16. And verse 10 describes these prisoners as those who sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, bound in affliction and in irons. One writer has said, some people are like prisoners trapped in the dungeon of their own moral folly, the victims of evil rather than the doers of it. Oh, they started out with the freedom of choice, but they continued to choose the wrong thing until the choice was finally taken away. The thing they had done had mastered them, and they could not do anything else. The drug addict would give anything to be set free from the chains of his habit, but it has hooked him, and he knows that the end of it will be his death. 
In his sober moments, the alcoholic hates himself for the hell that he creates in his own home, but his bottle is like a chain, and he knows that he cannot break loose from it. Then there are those who are locked up in the prison house of abuse or persecution. This is an apt description of compulsive behavior such as gambling and other things that grab hold of people and will not let loose of them. They are the prisoners of their own conduct. As we move through the gallery, we see picture number three. This is the picture of a hospital, perhaps even the ICU unit in the hospital. In verses 17 through 22, we read of this particular setting. In fact, there is a very apt description of a person caught in this situation in verses 17 and 18, and it reads like this. Fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, were afflicted. Their soul abhorred all manner of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. These are people who have, because in this situation of their own sin, although it is not always that way, fallen into sickness. And the sickness is nigh unto death. They are indeed in the ICU unit waiting for their final moments on this earth. And that brings us to the largest portico in the gallery and what I consider to be the main painting among the four. And this is the painting of the storm. Let me paint it for you in the words of verses 23 through 32. Those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters, they see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commands and raises the stormy wind, which lifts up the waves of the sea. They mount up to the heavens, they go down again to the depths, their soul melts because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. Then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble. And he brings them out of their distresses. He calms the storm so that its waves are still. Then they are glad because they are quiet. So he guides them to their desired haven. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them exalt him also in the assembly of the people and praise him in the company of the elders. The storm is a picture which all of us can identify because it encompasses many of the things that happen to us in life, unexpected and yet severe. Now, in order for us to understand what's going on here and apply it to our own lives, let me just give you kind of a simple outline and let's go through this section. I want you to notice, first of all, the place where the storm takes place where it happens. Verses 23 and 24 says, those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters, they see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. In this particular situation, the storm is reserved for those who do business in great waters. They are not fishing in waders or off the shore or off the dock. They have taken their ship out into the great waters and it is here that they face the storm and the difficulties of life. I have always taken great encouragement from this passage because oftentimes when the storms have encompassed my life, it has been during the time when I have been in the midst of risking something or taking a great step of faith or moving beyond the borders of safety in what I consider to be the will of God for my life. 
Do you remember the words of Jesus to Simon Peter in Luke chapter 5? When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. The scripture teaches us that the great works are done in the deep waters, not in the shallow waters near the shore. One of the reasons why many churches stay at the same level throughout their whole history is because there is often a fearful moment in time when you step out in faith to take the next step to something greater or something that's going to encompass more people. And many are unwilling to do that because the pressure and the stress and the storms are always greater as you move away from the shore. Many of you understand that in your own business adventures. If you stay safe, if you're unwilling to risk a little bit and take a step, you will never grow beyond your present capacity. It is the expanding of the borders that causes it to happen. But often in that moment of time when you are the only one who understands what you're trying to do and you're out there all by yourself, there can be moments that are very stormy in your life. Please remember that it is in the deep waters that the business of the Lord is done. It is in the deep waters where the storms come up. If you stay by the shore, you will not have to worry much about the storms, but you will not enjoy much of the blessing of the Lord either. And next we notice the producer of the storm. As we look at the picture, there is something very unique about it. This is an unusual storm, and I want you to read with me in verse 25 how it came about. It says, for he commands and raises the stormy wind, which lifts up the waves of the sea. Notice the word he is in capital letters. And let me ask you this question. Who caused the storm? God. It was pretty weak. Most of you are a little bit shy about accusing God of causing storms, but let's try that once more. Who caused the storm? Isn't that an interesting thought? Now, it is not always true that the storms of our life are caused by God. On occasion, we are in storms of our own choosing and of our own making. We get ourselves in messes, and God has nothing to do with it. Maybe he just let us go and proves to us that we need him badly. But there are times when God brings storms into our lives, and it is of his doing that it happens. And I want to prove that to you, not just from this isolated psalm, but from other passages as well. For instance, Job understood this in Job 23.10. For he wrote, but he knows the way that I take. And when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. Job understood that the problems that he was experiencing were allowed by Almighty God. And that he was in the midst of a major test. Psalm 66 says this. You brought us into the net. You laid affliction on our backs. You have caused men to ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, but you brought us out to rich fulfillment. Who did the storm? Who caused it? Who produced it? It was Almighty God. When Jonah ran away from the Lord and he was running to Tarshish, running away from the Lord, It says in Jonah 1.4, but the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship was about to be broken up. Who sent the storm in Jonah's life? God did. Now, it's just interesting that when you're in the midst of a storm, 
If you look around and you can't figure out why it's happening or why God has allowed it or you don't know of any particular sin in your life that may have caused him to be judging you, it is interesting to know that sometimes God puts us in the midst of a storm and he allows it for his own purposes so that he can teach us what we need to learn. We're going to see that here in a moment. I want you to notice the peril of the storm. And there are no more descriptive words in all of the Bible than the words of verses 26 and 27. Listen to what it says. They mount up to the heavens. They go down again to the depths. Their soul melts because of the trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. How many of you ever been in such a dire circumstance that that describes how you felt? Notice there are five descriptive expressions here. They go down to the depths, their soul melts, they reel to and fro, they stagger like a drunken man, and they are at their wit's end. Did you know that that's where that expression came from, that at your wit's end is a Bible expression? It originated here in the Psalms. Did you know that? And the Psalm says that this storm has put them in a sense where they just don't know what to do. They have no concept of how to get out of the storm. The storm has taken the vessel out of their control, and it now controls the vessel, and they are simply spectators to the whole situation. But of course, in the midst of the peril, there is a prayer. And I want you to notice this prayer, verse 28. Then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brings them out of their distresses. How many of you know that our prayers in the midst of the storm tend to be somewhat short? How many of you know that? Long prayers in church, but in the storm, they're pretty short. When my wife and I were starting our church in Fort Wayne, we lived on a busy highway in a little house there, and the driveway emptied right out into the highway, so it was kind of dangerous getting out of there. One day, Donna was driving, and I was sitting in the passenger seat, And she backed out into the traffic. She didn't see a car coming. And I looked over just in time to see it. And I just said, Lord, help, like that. Or said, help us, Lord, or something like that. And the car hit us behind where I was seated instead of hitting us where I was seated. Or I would have probably been hurt. And then Donna reminds me that I turned to her and said, why did you do that? (laughs) She's never let me forget that I said that uncompassionate thing. But I want you to know, when you see a car coming towards you and you're about to get hit, you don't have time for these, thous, and anything else that you might remember from church. You just pray a simple prayer. Can I get a witness? Everybody understand that? Now, I want you to notice this. This verse is exactly the same as every situation which we have visited so far in the gallery. For instance, what does a wanderer do in the desert when he's lost his way? Verse 6 Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distress. What does a captive do when he's shut up in the prison house of his own making? Verse 13 says, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distress. And what does a patient in the ICU ward do when he's lost all hope? Verse 19, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. It's exactly the same verse in every situation as a reminder to us that no matter what the problem is, no matter what the situation is, the only way out is the way up. And the only way you're going to get help in a helpless situation is to get help outside of yourself from someone stronger than you are, someone who can actually extricate you from the situation. 
So in every situation, it is a prayer unto Almighty God. Most of us know that. In fact, I secretly expect to find out when I get to heaven that God has allowed storms, planned some of them perhaps even, to drive us to our knees and remind us again that as self-sufficient as we may all think we are, and as good as we are at getting ourselves out of the jams that we got into, there are certain things that only God can control, and he loves to bring us to our knees in dependence upon him. Oh, that we could learn to pray in times of peace with the intensity that we bring to the prayers in times of storm. The prayer in the midst of the storm. Then there is a dramatic change in the picture. And that is the peace in the storm. Verses 29 and 30 says, And he calms the storm so that the waves are still. Then they are glad because they are quiet. How many of you know that one of the great things about being in the storm and knowing that God caused the storm is the realization that the one who caused it can shut it down too? There's two places on the switch. One says on and the other says off and he's in control of both of them. And when they prayed unto the Lord and cried out to him in their trouble, he heard their prayer and he calmed the storm so that the waves are still. I always think about this in connection with the stories in the New Testament about the Lord Jesus with his disciples. The Lord, I believe, allowed things to happen in the lives of his disciples to teach them lessons they couldn't learn in any other way. Some lessons are not learned in the classroom. Do you know that? They're learned by experience as you go through things together. Do you remember the occasion when the disciples had gotten into the ship to go over to the other side and The Lord Jesus got in the ship with them and he crawled into the back of the boat and he curled up and went to sleep. And they got out into the middle of the sea and it became very stormy. And it was evident that the disciples were ready to just forget about everything. They thought they were going to die. And then it suddenly dawned on them that the one who had created the wind and the waves and the sea was in their boat, asleep in the back. And according to Matthew's gospel, we read in Matthew 8, 26, that Jesus said to them, why are you fearful, O you of little faith? And he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. But I love what Luke adds to it. Luke adds the dimension of the fear in the lives of the disciples. It says, they came to him and awoke him saying, master, master, we are perishing. Now think about that. They're talking here to the Lord of glory who created the waves and the sea and the wind and they're afraid that they're going to go down for the count. And he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water and they ceased and there was calm. One of the great things about being in the storm if you know God caused it is you know you're not there by yourself. Boy, that's the truth, isn't it? If you're a Christian and you have been through a storm, The one thing you know, like you've never known it before, is that God was there with you. Most of the time, people say they have never felt the presence of the Lord more than when they're going through rough waters. Uh, Here, the psalmist, he refers to such a time as being at your wit's end. And we've been there, all of us. Thank God that he sees us and he comes to us in the midst of the storm and helps us. Sometimes... He guides us through the storm. Sometimes he calms the storm. But his presence is really all that matters. He is there with us. 
More about this tomorrow when we meet again and part two of When You're at Your Wits End. Psalm 107 is our psalm for the day. Hey, friends, we're going to the Caribbean uh, in December. We are looking forward to that because we do this every year at the end of the holiday season. We leave right before the end of the year and we go to the Caribbean on a cruise ship and we stay through the year and come back in the new year. We close out the old year and welcome the new year aboard a cruise ship in the beautiful Caribbean waters. This year, Michael Sanchez, Yorio Vega, and the Martins will be with us. And uh, the dates are December the 27th through January the 7th. We'd like for you to go with us. Find out more at davidjeremiah.org. And be sure to join us tomorrow for the next edition of Turning Point on this good station. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, When Your World Falls Apart, please visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected, our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's book, Sleep on This a nighttime devotional with biblical reflections to bring you peace and rest. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions with notes and articles from Dr. Jeremiah's decades of study. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, When Your World Falls Apart, on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Do you long to know God better? In his book, The God You May Not Know, Pastor David Jeremiah walks readers through how to develop intimacy with God, discover his character, and encounter God's holiness. For a gift of any amount to Turning Point, you'll receive this inspiring book. Gifts of $55 or more will receive The Knowing Set, and gifts of $75 or more will receive The God You May Not Know Set. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca. If you've been blessed by the ministry of Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point, we would love to offer you two free ways to stay connected. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash magazine for a subscription to our monthly Turning Points magazine. Each exclusive issue is filled with encouraging articles and daily devotionals to strengthen your spiritual walk. You can also sign up to receive our daily email devotional and be a part of our community of friends who receive daily encouragement delivered straight to their inbox from Dr. Jeremiah. Written in a thought-provoking manner, this concise yet profound daily devotional delivers the refreshment and focus you need as you go about in today's world. You can join the more than 600,000 monthly subscribers who are building their faith each month through these free resources. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca. During the Spanish-American War, Colonel Theodore Roosevelt approached Clara Barton, head of the Red Cross in Cuba, to buy food for his soldiers. But she would not sell him any. Perplexed, he later discovered all he needed to do was ask for the supplies he needed. He couldn't pay for them. He could only receive them freely. 
And that's exactly how salvation is. We cannot purchase it with money, with power, or even by our good works. We can only receive what God provides freely to those who will simply ask in faith and receive. We cannot offer God anything. We can only receive what He offers us. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's salvation by grace on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.